Welcome to Never Meet Your Idols, a podcast where your idols get real, whether you like, like, it, like it or not. not. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. It's 80 degrees here, so I'm melting and miserable. And you're in long sleeves. And what is that? The forest? I love your background. <laughs> I'm in the forest. Lucky you. I'm Corey. You are Laura Mary. And we're on season two, episode four, right? Episode four? Yeah, episode four. And today our guest is Joe Cardamone from the Icarus Line, a punk rock LA band that is now... No longer, but he's continued on. I actually as... didn't realize they were no longer. You need to film me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's okay. I think Joe ended the Icarus line like five years ago. But, um, no, Alvin, the original bass player and longtime collaborator of Joe's, he died of cancer, unfortunately. Um, wow. And that was, I think Joe felt like that was the end of the band, but he's gone on to do solo records. He's a producer. Um, and I thought the Icarus line was pretty big in the UK. If you like, yeah, I do remember them. I think I went and saw a show of theirs in uh, this place called the Metro, like really long time ago. They've been around. They they started when they were teenagers, and I think Joe's early forties now. So um, you know, twenty years or something of being this crazy la punk rock band and they just did not give a fuck they just were crazy um but i remember they got really big in the uk and now he is a producer he's produced mark lanigan he's produced my two lps um and he does solo music he is a filmmaker he just started a new film project called quarantina um a new episode comes out every week it's like yeah, and you've been in it. Yes. <laughs> you've been featuring in. I'm the star of it, actually, Laura. <laughs> I'm an actress now. Um, no, I've never acted in my life, and I wouldn't call this acting. But it is um, Joe's latest film project. He had a feature-length movie documentary um, a few years ago that came out that got a lot of traction at film festivals, and this is his new project about like a couple in quarantine and the effects of being in quarantine, but then it turns into a horror movie. And I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I still don't really understand what I'm doing. I just go with it. But a new episode comes out every week on Instagram and YouTube. And yeah, who knows? <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, I honestly think he's going to turn me into a demon and that's his plan for my quote unquote character. So <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Joe is one of my closest friends and we've had very tumultuous like brother-sister type relationship for the last 15 years written a lot of mean songs about each other but um <laughs> we have been good for a long time now and collaborate on a lot of things so here he is here's your idol hi hi i'm laura by the way nice to meet <laughs> nice, you nice to meet you laura is gonna ask you the first question okay Okay, so the first question that we ask every guest is, have you ever met your idol? And if so, what were they like? Um, my idol. My, my answer is going to be kind of boring, though. Um, Can you give us an exciting answer? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Can you not bore us? I was going to say my mom. 
Oh, but that's real. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really look up to that many people in music, but like, you know, my mom, I look up to her. I've always looked up to her. So like, uh, you know, um, yeah, but I see her all the time. So there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that exciting to report. You are a mama's boy. A little bit, but not like, not in a bad way. No, not in like the whiny little bitch way, but you are a mama's boy. <laughs> not in that like creepy way where like, no, no. Where it's like mommy. She's just a strong woman who like kept our family together for years and years and years. And like, I seen how, you know, how much pressure she can withstand to keep a family together. And I always just really looked up to that. Like, that's something that like, you know, left a deep impression on me, like commitment and uh, unconditional love and all those kinds of things that like are so rare in other aspects of life. And a lot of people's moms aren't like that, you know? So I feel really lucky to have someone like that in my life, like a beacon, you know, of like, that's how you do it. It's after you met my mom that you were like, oh, my mom's pretty- Anybody <laughs> I've ever dated's mom. It's like, wait a minute. You want to go out with me? Is your mom insane and fucked? Cool, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, Joe is in the market for a wife right now. But, <laughs> right. Joe's in the market for a wife. Is mom insane? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not trying to say you guys. I would never do that to her. Jesus. I have to meet the mom first. That's basically <laughs> how it go. You're the worst. <laughs> um, anyway, how about this? Have you ever met somebody's idol <laughs> and have a good story? Okay, about it? I, I've definitely met um, people that I've looked up to. So um, the first time, the first day I worked with Nick and Warren on the... Uh, of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah, on the Lawless soundtrack, you know? And I was really excited to work with those dudes because I was a huge birthday party fan as a young buck and uh and i thought warren is always doing interesting things with rock music so uh i i got thrown on to this gig where i was like helping produce and engineer a movie soundtrack with them the first day i think it was the first day we were working there uh nick just burnt me down to the ground it was awesome um we were working on a track and Warren was like, maybe like, he's like, this needs drums, man, or something like that. And he looks over at me and he's like, Joe, can you play the drums? And I was, I, you know, I'm sitting there. You're like, I've played the drums on a Queen Kwong record. Exactly. <laughs> wah, wah. Exactly. That's kind of what was going through my head. And, and I was like, I'm going to say something cool, you know? And, uh, I was like, you know, as good as a singer can play anything. And, uh, you know, Warren's like, what's that mean, man? And Nick, out of the corner of the room, goes, it means he's fucking cool. <laughs> and he's like, bam! <laughs> you know what I mean? Broke the ice. And from, from then, then on out, everyone got along. I was like, all right, cool. These guys are going to talk shit and it's going to be good. So... Yeah, I guess that's kind of like meeting uh, an idol, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was a good thing. It was great. You, we ended up, you know, me and Nick were the only people that smoked. So, you know, I had a smoking buddy on the project and uh, Warren and, you know, 
Warren's, Warren's been on your, I mean, you guys have collaborated on other stuff. He's been on, is it Icarus line stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we met was on that project, but we became uh, buddies ever since, you know, just uh, like-minded individuals, you know, got along really well. Have you ever met anyone that's like, maybe it's not your idol, but someone that's kind of famous, I guess, that was a total dick. I mean, most of the time that's the case, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Someone sent me a post about Jared Leto uh, doing a festival in Croatia or something today. You know, um, I guess he's starting a cult in Croatia. I don't know. This isn't a good story or anything, but one time we were recording at the studio and he decided to do a studio tour while I was tracking vocals. And they're, I'm like standing there in front of the mic and then all of a sudden, Jared Leto walks into the room and is like looking around at shit and it's like what the fuck is this dude and uh, he walks up to me and like puts his hand into my hand and like stares into my eyes and I can't remember what he said because he was literally sucking my soul out through my eyes and I felt really it felt really fucked up and creepy and I just like grabbed my hand back and I don't remember the rest, but he was. You've the, never been the same. I've never been the same, and neither has he. <laughs> Jared Leto, God, he comes up all the time. He does. We've talked a lot about him on other episodes. Just really? Like, what is up with this guy? He's just so great. We can't understand it. But um, <laughs> he's too great for us to understand. <laughs> it's unfathomable, his greatness. I have one more and this is all my stories are short and pointless but like here's the other one is like uh one of our first big uk tours was with primal scream and uh we we're the first american band that you know toured with primal scream it was a big deal um and it was a big deal for us because we we loved like uh exterminator and like it was a great lineup it was uh kevin shields was playing guitar so he was in the group and manny uh, of Stone Roses fame was playing bass. It was like the super group lineup of uh, Primal Scream. It was just sick. And it was before everyone quit drugs and stuff. So it was just a total like, you know, hedonism. Um, but the last show of the tour was in London at the Apollo or something like that, Hammersmith. I don't remember, but um, backstage was, you know, there was all kinds of motherfuckers that like I had never met. So like, uh, like like Jason Pierce ended up like coming into the dressing room and we started talking. He's like, you got cocaine? And I was like, yes, we do. Of course I do. You know, he's like, is it American cocaine? And I lied. I was like, oh yeah, it's American. But it wasn't, it was like terrible UK cocaine. And he's like, I'll be right back. And you know, he leaves the room. So I kind of like, this is like a very scattered memory, obviously. So I leave the room too, but without him, and I end up in Primal Screams backstage, and there's this little leprechaun man dancing, playing uh, like a ukulele or something, singing like, you know, Irish folk songs, like full on green leprechaun. I'm not on acid. Yeah, I was gonna say, before or after you dropped a bunch of acid? No, this is real, man. <laughs> this really happened. And uh, it's just wall to wall people, you know, cause that's how it is, the last show of the tour, whatever. And some guy's like, you wanna meet Shane McGowan? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I wanna meet Shane McGowan. And he walks me over to this dude who's like purple with his eyes closed, drooling, 
you know? And he picks up the dude's hand, puts it in my hand, and he goes, there you go, you've met Shane McGowan. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is fucking great, man. It was a, it was a dream tour. So the Icarus line for people who don't know, and I would think most people don't know, because it was a very niche kind of underground thing that you guys- Everybody knows. Don't, you don't have to be humble here. Everybody knows. Okay. Uh, the Notorious. <laughs> I mean, you guys were, you guys caused a lot of trouble. Um, I don't think we caused trouble. Um, trouble caused us. Let's put it that way. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's fair, I guess. But um, you were also part of the start of Buddyhead, right? Yeah. Um, Laura, do you know what Buddyhead I was in the original CNN building cast of Buddyhead. Wow. Okay. Will you explain to Laura what Buddyhead is and to our listeners? Well, Buddyhead was, it is something else now. It's like a meme Lord account about like social justice or some shit now. But when it started, uh, well, it just started as like Travis's photo blog. And then one day Travis was like, we're going to do a magazine on the internet. And it's like, what the fuck's the internet? You know, we didn't even. What year is this? 98. Okay. 97. I mean, it's like there's no internet really not like that there was no there was no music magazines on the internet maybe rolling stone had a had a website but like no one fucking read it they just read magazines at this point so um buddyhead was probably one of the first uh, music magazines on on the internet that actually caught fire and i think the reason it caught fire was because of like a sort of insiders music gossip thing where like you know, we didn't give a fuck. We would just kind of like post whatever, like people would tell us some shit or some drama, some bullshit, and we would put it up. You know, Travis would put up like famous people's phone numbers that we thought were goons and like recruit people to call them at home and stuff. I mean, you know, we were we were outsider dirtbags that like obviously had no shot in hell of ever kind of like making it in the mainstream. So we thought it was, you know, funny and punk to just kind of, uh, you know, light those people up a little bit, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, an attention grab from a bunch of little uh, dickhead artists that were like, you know, we kind of felt like we were doing something special and it seemed like a good way to uh, cut through the noise a little bit. But somehow you kept getting on, the Icarus Line kept getting on these big tours, even though you guys were just causing the headliners headaches we didn't last on most of the tours i remember queens of the stone age asked us to open for them for like a couple dates in the northwest right and it was like this test thing if you guys do great on these shows we'll probably take you out for the rest of the tour and we were like oh fuck yeah like this sounds great they're loud and like popular and maybe we can trick some of their fans into liking us you know possibly so we went and we played the first show and it it felt like we were headlining the show. The crowd went fucking nuts. You know, everyone was like into it. And it was like, whoa. And we were pretty like strong at that point. Like the lineup was sick. And, you know, we were unfuckwithable in a lot of ways um, just as a group. And like at the end of that second night, both shows went great. And we were like, oh, my God, we fucking nailed it. It was like, nope, you guys aren't on the rest of the tour. You know, it was like went too well type of shit, you know. Um, but I have to say more often than not 
um, the support of like other musicians, like more commercially successful musicians has really kept what I've done alive. Not so much public support or like, you know. Uh, yeah, same here. Like you're an artist, artist. Something like that, you know, yeah. not pandering to the to the general public, but like uh, other artists have like really looked out for me. A few of them especially have really looked out for me. One of your previous guests, like Lanigan, uh, I've known him since I was 24 or something like that. And he has always looked out for me, uh, like in ways that have nothing to do with music. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's people like Ian uh, Asbury, uh, always looked out for me. And I'm not just trying to name drop these people, but these people helped me continue to make art through support, you know, and through being a good friend, you know. But how did they escape your um, your antics? Because I feel like, I mean, you went, you've toured with the cult and you guys ha didn't have such a good... They didn't escape. The cult, we had horrible, we, we, we basically got kicked off the cult tour, but Ian's still cool with me. We were like booed off of stage well we didn't leave the stage but they booed the whole time we were playing do you think that you kind of self-sabotaged in a way when it comes to the icarus line because weren't you on a major and there was there was real money behind you at one point and you were touring extensively playing really big shows and festivals and i mean there's the infamous kind of south by southwest story where you were like yeah. are you still banned from austin no we went back the next year we got death threats and all this crazy shit because uh, Aaron like grabbed a Stevie Ray Vaughn guitar out of a glass case at the Hard Rock or wherever the fuck we were and like threw it around the room, whatever. And they were like, you guys can't come back here. And we got all these death threats. We got signed to V2 that year. And we, you know, we didn't want to go back because we were kind of like, oh man, like we might get strung up, you know, or whatever. Uh, so we made the label hire us private security guards and <laughs> we went back with off-duty cops. Uh, we had them stand on stage while we were playing, like public enemy style. I, but you don't, so you don't think you self-sabotaged your career with the Icarus line? No, I don't actually. You know what, like what, I'm not a careerist. I, I my career That's is true. about making art and like uh, just kind of doing, you know, whatever seems like the right thing to do. So like, if it didn't advance me in the hearts and minds of the gatekeepers, so fucking what, dude? I don't give a shit. You know, I'm still here. I'm still here. I still get to do whatever I want. And like, look at the people who have actually bought into that system and they're beholden to like these squares that like tell them what to do. I would rather be doing what I do than like 90% of these fools who are like, asking you know jonathan little glasses what he thinks about their song it's like I, i'm doing it my way you know so yeah no we did it right <laughs> no regrets i think there's a fan quite do you yeah. have the there's a few i think um oh well i think both fans wrote in <laughs> <laughs> um okay someone's written in and asked uh, biggest regret and best memories of the icarus line Mm. All from someone called Jim. Okay. Uh, biggest regret that, I mean, there's a couple things that we couldn't do because of like scheduling conflicts or financials or whatever, but we were supposed to do a tour with Spiritualize that we just, I forget why, but we couldn't do it. Either 
someone didn't have enough money or it just didn't work out. But that I remember that being a hard moment for us because, you know, Ladies and Gentlemen was always a record that really meant a lot to pretty much everyone in, in the group, you know. So I know that that was a tough one that springs to mind. Best memories. Oh, wow. I mean, some of the best memories, you know, at this point in my life are probably just a lot of time spent with five people or six people, depending what the band was, that uh, were my best friends, you know, and like Alvin, my bass player, who's now deceased, uh, we came up together, you know, we, we learned to play music together, we played music together since like third grade. So most of the best memories are just kind of like thinking about me and him, like smoking a joint in front of an empty club in Montana, you know, on a Thursday and still not giving a fuck that it's empty because we're best friends and we don't give a shit and we're together. And it's like all a fucking dream for people like us because we don't have rich parents. And the fact that we're even out here, you know, after being out for eight weeks in a row is like awesome. And, you know, those are like the best memories to me. Um, making the last record with Alvin, All Things Under Heaven, we finally kind of, uh, you know, at least in my mind, achieved what I was always hoping the band would be able to do, you know, uh, as far as like just uh, a musical statement or artistic statement. I feel like that record really kind of like did something that we were always trying to do. And he really like just blew me away on that record. Like Alvin was always this sort of like uh, a machine of a musician who like you could program him and he would take whatever you showed him and kind of make it more solid and better. But on all things, under heaven, there was just some beautiful moments where he, um, like he like spiritually elevated the music, you know, on certain songs, it was just, uh, he blew me away and he was doing stuff that like, you know, you can't really talk about. It was just like, you know, musical alchemy. So the, those are really, and, and, you know, we played all the songs live and recorded them live. And it was just this communal, like, experience of people like trying to get closer to God, if that makes any sense. And uh, those are my favorite memories of the band is like really just us being together as friends, if that makes any sense, you know? That's really nice. Someone wrote, Joe, what is exactly your whole deal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You should ask Hooray that one. Yeah, I don't Hooray. know. <laughs> <laughs> that's from someone called luke yeah um how long do we have now i mean let's be honest you uh you've had a reputation for being an asshole for a long time let's not be too honest <laughs> do I? I have a reputation for being an asshole really yeah. to who my dogs think i'm cool <laughs> That's true. That's all that matters. No, I mean, listen, in LA, in the entertainment industry, dudes and bands, all the stereotypes are true. And you somehow went from being that kind of stereotypical prick of a dude um, to being a really good person. Um, and it definitely didn't happen overnight. I think I've known you for like 15 years now. But as you know, people I've had relationships with and have known and worked with, and same with you, like usually these kind of guys don't improve with age. 
you know, it's like the narcissism is just impenetrable and it, it's really awful. Yeah. Um, there's no accountability, nobody taking responsibility. And I think um, there were years I thought you were a horrible person, you know, but yeah. you have come through for the people you care about in really profound ways. And it is rare to find that. Yeah. Um, but I think it actually says a lot that someone can come from one extreme and, and do the work and find it within themselves to better themselves and be a better person. I've seen, you know, you were, I've, I've told you this, you were definitely the worst boyfriend I've ever had. Um, but then I saw you be a really good husband. Yeah. Um, not to me, <laughs> to someone <laughs> else, you know. In a day, like right now, there's all this canceling going on of people. You know, we just cancel people, cancel people for things they did 10 years ago. They're canceled, you know? And there yeah. are some people that I think need to be canceled from the fucking planet. That's true. For sure. Um, but I think there's the canceling's got a little bit out of hand. And we don't take into consideration that like people make mistakes. People have been done really fucked up, horrible things. You know, yeah. I've done shitty things. Like and everyone has. Everyone Every has. And um, I think it says even more about somebody rather than somebody who's like, I've never done anything wrong and I've lived perfectly. There's that, like, good for you. But then there, I really admire and respect people who are like, I've done some fucked up shit. Yeah. And I have now become this person and learned from that and done this differently. Yeah. And you um, came from when I first met you being a really ex extreme like a wild animal, basically. Yeah, you were a wild animal piece of shit. <laughs> Let's be honest, you know? Yeah. And I, if you would have told me five years ago, oh no, Joe's, you know, just wait in time, Joe's going to be a good person. I'm like, no, he's not. Five years ago? <laughs> yeah, I still think five years ago. I still think I would have <laughs> okay. had some serious right. doubts five years ago. Hosh. All right, all right, all right. What, what is the secret to becoming a good person, Joe? For all the other douches in the world. You already know the secret. The bludgeoning of failure and tragedy. Yeah. You know? Um, here's one of the... Okay, the, that's it's nice of you to say all that, and I love you too. But here's the thing. Um, art has always been paramount in my life. Like, beyond recognition, beyond anyone fucking telling me anything. And vulnerability has ended up being the key to uh, evolving and making better and better art and kind of getting closer to actually doing something that impacts my life in a holistic way. And so I think just uh, there's no way to uh, make the art I want to make without being vulnerable and trying to like confront who you are, you know? So I think that's had a lot to do with it. Um, also I've just experienced a lot of loss, you know, and I've lo lost a few people that really, really mean a lot to me. And, um, I'm not really down to leave my other relationships unmined, you know, because I miss them and, you know, there's, you know, uh, there's things I wish I could still share with them. And so the people that are still here, I want to make the most of it with them and, uh, you know, that, that makes me want to be a better person for everyone around me. You know what I mean? Because 
it's such an honor that anyone wants to work with me or collaborate with me and the and i don't choose to work with a lot of people but the ones that do it's such an honor that i get to do that with them that uh i really want to make them know that i feel so honored that they work with me you know i was always like uh vulnerable and kind of you know i always was the guy i am today but i was too scared to be that person you know because the world was scary music business is scary art is scary and so there's this like shell wall that i built around me to sort of protect me from the elements you know and like pile on some drugs pile on some issues pile on you know uh pushing people away and you know i felt protected but at a certain point in your life it's like uh you you're not going to like scratch the surface of actually touching on anything that's like a lasting uh you know like a lasting dent in what your psyche is into art if you don't break that up so i i don't really know i you know just life uh life like beat me down and now i'm now i have to be nice to everyone <laughs> dang <laughs> <laughs> i feel like when we we spoke to like mark lanigan basically a lot of the people that we've had on the podcast all of them that have been around for a while, they've all kind of said a similar thing. And that was like about kind of with age, I guess, mellowing out in a way, but also being insecure a bit in the past. And as you've grown yeah. as an artist, whatever those things go and you kind of relax, kind of what you were saying, you know, how kind of have these walls and stuff. But it's funny because like, yeah, most of the people that have been on here have said similar things. And now that they're much more open to sort of working with other people and being open to do things that maybe they hadn't before. Totally. You become, you, I think with age and just experience and time, you're a little more secure with who you are too, you yeah. know, and uh, that's what, you know, you don't give a fuck what anyone thinks, you know, when you're younger, no matter how much you think you don't give a fuck, when you look back, you're like, oh, wow, that was all motivated by like, how Give much a gave a fuck about everything, you know, or how people perceive me. Yeah. You have to be the uh, best version of what you've been given and that's it like if you can distill the best version of what the set of tools that like god gave you whatever you got like just hone that over and over until you kind of like distill it into the best version and that i don't know that's a more fulfilling thing than like chasing acceptance totally i agree okay Please, can you ask Joe, this is from someone called Michael, um, how did the Icarus Line Must Die come about and would you ever want to make or be involved in any future documentaries about the band? <clears throat> okay, uh, that movie came about because the director, Michael Grodner, does this, uh, like these like music segments called Dirty Laundry or did, I don't know if he still does it, I, you know, I don't know, but he did this segment where like touring bands and local bands that would come through we'd bring them to a laundromat in town to do their laundry and like they would do an interview while they did their laundry and talk about whatever whatever so i kind of knew him through that i think that's how we met but i don't really remember would i ever do another thing about the icarus line nah, i don't know but like uh we are slowly chipping away on a Icarus Line Buddyhead movie because Travis Keller, uh, you know, one of my oldest cohorts, my one of my best friends, uh, he filmed 
hours of footage on the mini DV cam on all the tours, the Primal Scream tour at Perfect Circle. I mean, there's like footage that would turn your fucking mom white. You know what I mean? Whiter. I remember stumbling across some of that footage <laughs> when we were together. That, you know what? That's actually Jeff's, that's, that was Jeff's footage. But yes, you burned that tape or something. <laughs> you burned it. <laughs> you were like, well, Thank boom. God I burned it. You would be in big trouble if that were out there today. I think so. I don't know. Uh, Probably. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty. We were wild, you know. It was like, but it was a, such a different time. It was like a time of like jackass and shit like that. Like we were like that. <laughs> I need to know what's like, on that tape worse. now. I I just remember coming. We lived together in Echo Park. I mean, I went out with you when I was a teenager. Yeah. Of age, I was emotionally a teenager t- too. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> but I think I was like working three jobs to support us. <laughs> And Joe would just sit in bed all day with his sunglasses on. It wasn't, I, I, I would get out of bed here and there to work on the four track. But I, there was a VHS left in the VCR one day. And I came home and he wasn't there. And there was like paused. And I just hit the play button. And, I, and at that point, I was like, I am never going out with another musician ever again <laughs> little did you know that's all you would do for the- <laughs> little You're did like, i know yeah. <laughs> yeah there's footage there was footage from those tapes of us like like our van broke down so we decided instead of fix it we're gonna tear it to shreds and we all got crowbars and just like dismantled this van and then rented a u-haul and put all our gear in the u-haul and all the people in the u-haul like i remember i did 10 hours straight in the back of a u-haul in the middle of summer and the only way i made it through it was by eating xanax to stay asleep little did i know that was like fucking dangerous as fuck <laughs> like we would like get to the gas station they would open the thing and finally you would see light because there was no light <laughs> and i would walk out of the u-haul like someone sprayed but me you're down. in like the back of a u-haul back. yeah yeah in the back of the u-haul and i would get out like somebody sprayed me down with a fire hose because i was so covered in sweat oh. you know what i mean and, like drink a big gulp and then like eat another Xanax and go back into the fucking black until we got home. That happened more than once too. I think you also had lice for like four years. I did have lice for a while. They were like super <laughs> lice though, man. We got them on a tour bus, obviously a British tour bus with lice. Come on. <laughs> Your people's it. fault, Laura. Yeah, I believe, I believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, and it just ran through the crew. It was like, plus my hair was like long down to my tits. You know what I mean? I just had long ass hair and uh, I just couldn't get rid of it. Um, yeah, that was bad. That was bad too. Cause you know, that was in, I was kind of single at the time and there was like a couple girls. That's, that's what he me. talks about the period of time he was with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of single at the time. <laughs> Meaning living with Corey. <laughs> no. Did I have lice when I lived with you? Yes. I didn't get it though. I was shocked. Oh man. See, I don't remember it. Lucky you. I don't remember that. <laughs> I, I remember it differently. That's the thing. <laughs> um, but okay. Do you want to talk about non Icarus line related stuff? Like what you're doing now, the films, you're oh, making, yeah. the music you're making. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. So I'll just do my spiel. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I just, I'm trying to think about where this all came from. So like, before the pandemic really sort of set in, I had been nearing completion on about 30 new songs. And uh, 
I had been working on those tracks for about a year <clears throat> and just developing new stuff that was like post Holy War because Holy War was kind of the first solo thing I released. I released it right around when Alvin passed away. And it was the first time I performed by myself on stage, like no band, no nothing, just me on stage. And, and you opened for Mark Lanigan too, right? That was like the, yeah, that was the first tour I did as like a, a solo uh, curiosity, you know, but it was, it's one of the hardest tours I ever did. And one of the best tours I ever did. It was hard because I'd never played without a band on stage. I'd never played without Alvin on stage. And he had passed away maybe a couple weeks before I left for the tour. Mark being the, you know, big hearted angel that he doesn't know he is, uh, let me bring my little brother Sean on the tour with me so that I would have family with me because I was beside myself, obviously. And uh, Sean and Mark are the only reason I made it through that first tour. You know, I would be in tears uh, very often after the set. I was in pain. I was soon to go through a divorce uh, after an eight-year marriage with someone who I was very close to, but it was obviously just like not, uh, we were not going to work out in that sort of way. Um, you know, so it was a very uh, emotionally like tumultuous time. So Holy War came out, <clears throat> we did some performances, and Holy War really became an excuse to make films. So we did a 45 minute um, short film, which was basically my film school. You can't really see it anywhere on the internet because I don't think anybody needs to see that shit. Like once a year, we put it up for a week. And if people want to watch it, they can watch it then, then we take it back down. So uh, fast forward a couple years, I'm working on Skeleton Joe, which, uh, you know, is like a giant collection of music. And uh, it's kind of all over the map, but I was really excited about it. Um, the pan pandemic starts to hit and I'm finishing that music. I'm finishing an album with Mark. Me and Mark have this separate album where I'm doing the music and he's singing and I'm singing on some of it. And there's all the, like a giant chunk of music that I have ready to kind of drop on the world. And all of a sudden through the lens of uh, everything that's happening, none of this shit made any sense to me anymore. You know, it was like none of this music like makes sense. Like what I'm saying here just, didn't matter. You know, I look around and I see like so many people dying and uh, just the fabric of human interaction changing and just the way I see the world changing. And I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people. And I just basically put everything on the shelf for a year, didn't touch anything, didn't even really make music. I, you know, it was time to like uh, cook Italian food at home and lay low and figure out how you could like, uh, you know, do something positive. I don't know. I was shell shocked, man. I did not know what to do. About a year into the quarantine or a little less than a year, my home life kind of started to erupt in, into, well, it suddenly like turned into a fucking disaster zone and left me kind of scratching my head. But over that year, it happened to other people who I'm really close to. One of my best friends, his home life like exploded overnight, done you know, out of nowhere type of shit. And I saw this happen to a lot of people. And uh, yeah, I think it was make it or break it time for a lot of relationships and couples. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like a pandemic to test the strength of a relationship. I mean, it's the ultimate test. Of course it is, you know, and so here I am again, my life is uh, in fucking rubble. And I'm running to music again to like, bail me out trying to see the relationship and relationships, other people's relationships as well, uh, 
from as many perspectives as I could, even though I was like completely jilted in that moment, you know? So I just spit on the mic for a week and a half. And there it was, there was this collection of music, Quarantina. And I sent it to Todrick over at the record label that was doing the Skeleton Joe shit. He, you know, became lit up about it and was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're doing, let's do this like a proper record campaign. And that's when I thought about, well, if we're going to do that, let's, I need, I need something to do with my time or I'm just going to like end up planting like a hundred rosemary bushes in the backyard or something psychotic. You know what I mean? Like shit's going to get weird over here. It's like, how many times can I clean the floor? Um, so you can clean the floor again. I know. <laughs> I've been to the house. Feel Dude, free the to bathroom, clean the floor. The bathroom floor today. <laughs> what animal sheds like that? You know what I mean? What a is man. It? Yeah, a <laughs> And that's when I hit you up about making the films. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, you're probably not going to want to do this, but come on, I need you to do this. And we just, the first one was a camera test. We didn't even know we were like really going to do it. The first one that we released, we were like, let's just shoot some shit tonight. See if we can like have convincing chemistry and, uh, you know, whatever. And we shot it and it was beautiful. And that was it. We've been working like psychos. And honestly, it saved my life. This project saved my life. I don't know if anybody really likes it or gets it or whatever, but it has saved my life. Oh, thanks, Joe. Anything to save your life. <laughs> save me again. You owe me. <laughs> it looks really cool. I've been watching it. I don't know how many more are you doing or is it like... Yeah, how many more are we doing? 100 episodes. We're, we're only... <laughs> We're getting there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is the mid-season point. So we got like the same amount that we just did, we're going to do. And then we're going to put them all together. Don't make that face. And we're (laughs) going to put a lot. It's a lot of free work I'm doing with it. Now that I'm an actress. (laughs) You are an actress though. You're being recognized for your acting skills. It's pretty cool. What acting skills? (laughs) Uh, She's she's good. Wouldn't you say, Laura? Yeah, I think she's great. I, oh, I thanks, guys. I'm blushing. It, it's easier because there's no dialogue. It's still really hard to act, though, convincingly without any, totally. you know, it's, with no dialogue, it's maybe even harder. Yeah, I agree. She's a, she's a silent film star. <laughs> <laughs> Dreams do come true. Um, yeah, but if you guys want to see this, it's called Quarantina, and we put out a new episode every week, just a few minutes long. Um, on our Instagram TVs and on YouTube. And at the end, you'll put everything together to be one movie. I mean, it is an overarching story, right? So there is an arc and there is an ending. And I already know where this whole thing goes. So yeah, at the end, we'll stitch the whole thing together. Um, Maybe we'll take it to film festivals or something like that. Just why not? That's what people have been saying. Like, you should take this to film festivals. And we're like, okay, maybe we'll do that. Yeah. And then the other plan is... We've talked to various like storefronts that friends of ours own around Los Angeles, and we're going to project the film in its entirety from like midnight till the sun comes up on a loop around the city on on the weekends uh, in different spots and kind of like, you know, let people know on social media that they can kind of, you know, whether anyone's standing out there watching it or not, it's still like a cool thing for us to do. So we'll be doing like public broadcasts of the film around the city. Cool. And it is an accompany. I mean, it is also an accompaniment to your new record. It's not just a film. It is like yeah. the film is to your new record. 
I mean, the record's like the soundtrack to the film. I think that comes out at the end of the movie. Which is when? <laughs> I mean, I think in the middle of the summer. I, f- I always forget the date, what they say it was. But yeah, the vinyl is like available in the middle of the summer and it'll hit streaming services around the same time, something like that. Yeah. And then and then what am I going to do? You know what I mean? We'll finish my record with me. We'll be close. Yeah. We'll be close. We'll be done it again. already is good. I already like it. Thanks. We were only one song in, but (laughs) (laughs) the last part of the podcast is rants and raves. Rancid raves. (laughs) Rancid rave. (laughs) I've been to a rancid rave before. you know what I do watch that is t- totally ridiculous is this dude on YouTube called Guga Foods. And he's this like, I think he's a Brazilian dude who just cooks steaks and it has like the worst shitty rock music over it. It's like, well, he's like blowtorching steaks. But for some reason. This is like a Guy Fieri sounding thing. It, it's not that bad, but it is that bad, you know? Um, <laughs> And for some reason, I find it relaxing. It's either, I'm either watching that or tarot card readings, which is, that's got to stop. That is. I do that. I do that. Do you? Oh my God, both of you. All the time. Do you? I'm like addicted. I was doing like, I just was doing it before this. (laughs) Right? Wait, what? Do you, do you, uh. You're just watching, what do you mean watching? On YouTube. Do you watch uh, Eat, Read, Love or whatever that dude is in, in Hollywood? No, there's um, like one. I mean, I watch all of them. I'm like every day. It's like what's in the last like hour or whatever. And then but I watch <laughs> this woman called like Mermaid Tarot. Scales oh yeah, I know her. I know her. Yeah, yeah. Wait, can you explain to me what this is? You're just watching other people get their cards. No, they do general readings for like specific signs. So do you only yeah. watch your sign? I watch some. I watch other people sometimes as well. Yeah, because you're like this is ridiculous. Yeah, because you got cross watching. Because you got mental problems like me. I get it. Um, Okay, cool. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Um, Yeah, it's gotta stop. That's all I'm saying, dude. It's gotta stop. I need need to be released from the shit. You know, I kind of did it as a joke, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, is this a joke? You know, Um, but. uh, I need to be, I need to capitalize on this. Like, I will for sure tell you what you need to do with your life. You know, I'll get out cards. You have to be able to tell a story real quick. That's the thing. They look at the cards and they kind of like go with what's on the card. And then they're just like, start telling you some bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, I don't know. It is addictive. Even though I know like it's like most of it, I mean, all of it is bullshit really. I just... And I know it when I'm listening to it. It's like just become this weird thing that I do all the time. I know. I know about it. When I it. have a moment. I know about it. I know. It's fucked up. It's really weird. I, it's I, really weird. I don't think it's good, though. You know what I mean? Even though I, no. it's not good, right? It's like, this isn't good. Like, I need to get out of this. It's like cheap therapy, but it's not good therapy. <laughs> <laughs> But they're just telling they're-, they're they're not they're not telling you anything. You tell them pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. And you assign priority of like your problems and your life onto it. But I do think it's kind of helpful in the sense that you uh when you're doing it with somebody who's like halfway decent, you can sort through fucked up things in your life or at yeah. least make some sense of it 
out loud. It is like therapy in a certain way. It is. Yeah. That's what I see. That makes sense. Yeah. It's almost what people do with religion, where it's like needing some kind of guidance or answers that they can't commit to on their own. Well, of course, when your life is out of control, you're just like, somebody fucking help me, you know? Yeah. Someone tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. It's almost like in a way, like instead of talking to someone else, you can just go on there and you can like listen to some bullshit and it might make you feel like something for a minute, might make you feel better for a minute or like figure something out on your own. It makes you feel better and worse at the same time. Yeah. It's like, this is fake. But, but I it's feel all better. about how you're taking it though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking it hard. <laughs> That's because you're a, what sign are you? I'm a Cappy. So am I. Capricorn. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Cappy's best. I'm a Virgo, the Virgin. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, and what is your what is your what, rant? What am I hating on? Yeah, what are you hating on right now? I'm hating on people not being careful about the pandemic shit. You know what I mean? I, you know, I have a dear friend who has been on a ventilator for two weeks hanging by a thread and then i see these assholes you know uh spring breaking spring breaking yeah. don't have a fucking vaccine they don't have a vaccine man and uh the self-centeredness i get it dude it's been hard but it's been hard for everyone you know but yeah. uh just people being so fucking self-absorbed it's we live in this time of self-absorption you know with social media it is like kind of injected people with the worst version of themselves you know they get like their dopamine hit every 20 minutes when somebody likes some photo of their fucking tits or their fucking whatever the cake they made and like they're addicted we're all addicted to this shit so like it makes people the star of their own fucking universe they're the star of the universe now and I think it's just like really diminishing empathy, you know, in a widespread uh, way, you know, and it's and it's just it's horrible to see. Fuck them, man. Like, I don't want to know people that act like this. They don't. It's like I know people who like if they got this shit, it could kill them. You're one of them. You know what I mean? But like yeah. that's always stuck in my head is like, be careful because the people you love are like, you know, maybe be fine. But dude. My boy, my big brother is on a ventilator. You know what I mean? Like, he's not fine. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, and this is just selfish, self-centered fucking people, you know? And that's like, seems like a lot of people are just, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, you know, um, and yeah, it drives me crazy. It's really frustrating. Mm. You know? I agree. Wear a mask. Get vaxxed. Exactly. Well... Did we do it? No, no, we did it. Yeah. We podcasted. <laughs> cool. Go back to bed now. I might. And Laura's yeah. going to bed. Good night, Laura. Good night. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye, bye. guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Never Meet Your Idols. Join us next time when we welcome Patty Schimmel. To submit questions for us or our guests, email us at nevermeetyouridols at gmail.com. Or send us a message or voice memo on Instagram at nevermeetyouridolspodcast. Until next time, I'm Kare. And I'm Laura Mary. See, See you next, next Tuesday. Tuesday.